0: What is synodality for you? And what's the easiest way that you have found to explain it to a congregation?
1: It is so concrete. It means walking together, but it means accompaniment. It means being there for somebody else, just as the Lord himself has decided to walk with us, has become a man and lived our same life with our struggles, with our issues, not being afraid, It is the same thing, being a church that is not afraid of others, that is not afraid of engaging others where they're at, and that presence, that accompaniment, that being a sacrament of Christ to others, to me, that's synodality.
0: Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we are joined by Ivan Montelongo, a priest and canon lawyer serving in the Diocese of El Paso, Texas. Ivan was raised in Mexico, but completed high school in the US. Though he was ordained in 2020 in the throes of COVID-19, he has already been called to significant responsibilities in his diocese, serving as vocation director, judicial vicar and synod coordinator. He is also one of only six U.S. delegates personally chosen by Pope Francis to participate in the upcoming Synod on Synodality in Rome this October. We're delighted to have Ivan on Preach this month, where we are focusing our efforts around the theme of preaching for a more synodal church. Ivan, welcome to Preach.
1: Hello, thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Thank you for making the time. I know that you're just about to set off for Rome, so it's wonderful that you were able to join us.
1: It is an honor, and whatever we can do for a more synodal church, as Pope Francis invites us to do. Wonderful.
0: Before we move on to your homily, I wonder if you might share with our listeners the readings that you're preaching on.
1: Of course. So I am focusing on the gospel for this Sunday, the 26th Sunday of Ordinary Time, and The gospel is from Matthew chapter 21. The last part of the chapter, it is a parable about two sons that a man had. The man asks them to go to the vineyard to work. And one of them says, I will not go, but he ends up going. And the other one says, yes, Father, I will go, but he does not go. The last question of Jesus as he ends the parable is, Which of the two did the Father's will? And he leaves it open-ended for his hearers to respond.
0: Wonderful. I look forward to hearing what your response is, certainly. I know you're not in a parish, but who is this particular homily intended for?
1: I try to imagine an average parish from El Paso, where the majority of the parishioners are Hispanic, either first or second or third generation who are familiar with Mexican culture, especially here in the border, from ages ranging from youth to elderly, trying to make it understandable to all those demographics.
0: Great. I don't want to delay any more. So, Ivan, this virtual ambo is yours, and we eagerly await your words of wisdom. We will now hear Ivan Montelongo's homily for the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach.
1: This Sunday we listen to what is perhaps the shortest parable of Jesus, yet it is so universal. We can all see ourselves in one of the two sons. I remember when I was a kid and my mom would ask me to do a chore in the house I would often respond to her, ahorita, ahorita, in a bit, to later forget about it and find my mom doing it. The two sons are being asked something. They are asked to go on a journey from passivity to action. They are asked to work in the vineyard. In the Old Testament, the vineyard is a symbol of Israel, of God's chosen people. God is working among his people, and he takes care of this vine, this vineyard is precious to him. It is God's desire to see the vine produce fruit and be prosperous, to fill the hearts of people with joy when they drink this wine. In this parable, the children of Israel are being asked to participate in the work of God, to tend to the precious vineyard of the Father. But the sons do not understand this calling that they are privileged to receive. They do not perceive the urgency of the task ahead of them. I'll do it in a bit, ahorita, ahorita. In a sense, both sons are disobedient to the will of the father. The father's invitation is loving, but it is met by the rudeness of the first son. And although the second son is respectful and reverent, he remains unmoved. It is like an empty reverence. The first son is at first concerned with his own problems only. He does not see beyond himself. And the second son speaks beautiful words that end up also being disconnected from the father's will. In the same way, each of us, we have all disobeyed the will of our father. And that's okay. The father does not demand perfection of his children. It's okay not to be perfect. But what is not okay is to stay there, to not continue walking. We need conversion. We need to get back on the path. We cannot stay on the realm of beautiful words that prevent us from recognizing the Father's will. Sometimes we are so concerned with perhaps saying the right thing, with believing the right thing, but we remain unmoved. We remain unmoved by the work that God wants to bring about in His precious vine. This Sunday, Pope Francis is celebrating the opening Mass of the Synod Assembly in Rome. This Synod is an exercise of listening to the Holy Spirit and recognizing the will of God for his vineyard, for his church. The Synod calls us to let that voice touch our hearts so that we can get up from our couch and respond. Despite perhaps having rejected God's will at first, we can now embrace God's dream and accept this privilege of bringing about his kingdom. The Father calls each of us, my child, Go out and work in the vineyard today. No matter what our response has been in the past, if it was rude or empty reverence, if it was outright rejection or beautiful words, if it was ahorita, ahorita in a bit, I'll do it later. Today, we have the opportunity to be touched by God's dream for his precious vineyard and to be on our way to make it a reality.
0: That was Ivan Mantolongo for Preach. When we come back from the break, we'll hear how Ivan brings the spirit of synodality to his preaching. Welcome back to Preach, Ivan. That must be, I think, the shortest homily we've heard on Preach. Yet, which really connects with, I think, Pope Francis' desire for shorter, impactful preaching. Maybe we can start there. You know, not every Sunday homily needs to go on for 10 or 15 minutes. How did you come to the decision to keep it sort of short and sweet?
1: I try to follow a three-point structure with perhaps three sub-themes each and an intro, conclusion, and that fills about a page of my notes. Actually, I went a little over a page, and this is perhaps a little longer than what I used to preach.
0: Wow. What are your three points?
1: So the first one was to provide context on the reading, on the parable. I think that sometimes we need to know what the audience of the gospel writer was or the point of a parable, because we're so disconnected from perhaps written tradition or oral traditions, and we need to be reminded of who Jesus was speaking to, what he was trying to say. The second point was that both sons were disobedient. Usually when there's a parable about two persons, we fall under one of those categories. But both were disobedient in one way or another. So both needed conversion, just as all of us need conversion today. And the third one was an emphasis on synodality, on walking that path. Synodality is a path of conversion. And it is a path of listening, just as it, it asked of these two sons to hear the voice of God. Synodality also asks us to listen to the voice of the Spirit and to allow it to move us.
0: What I love about your homily is that, you know, by the time it ended— I still remembered what you had said. <laughs> so you've just said these three points. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. And it's certainly a lesson for me in terms of preaching to be very clear and, you know, get directly to the point. The thing that I found most captivating perhaps is this idea, as you've put it, right, of the disobedience of both sons. There's often a tendency to create binaries. One is right, one is wrong. One did the right thing, one did the wrong thing. But I think that it's really helpful, I think, for congregations to not set up that dueling between two positions, right? But just from the very practical perspective of a person's prayer life, right? That so often in our own prayer, we feel that it has to be one way or the other, or that I should do this, not do that. And so setting this up in your own preaching shows people that in their own prayer life, they can have a bit of ambiguity.
1: Yes, I think that sometimes we think of things as white or black, but there's very often shades of gray. And the same in our spiritual life, the same in our pastoral activity. Usually there's not a right or wrong, but the Spirit calls us in different ways. And I sometimes tell people, we have to pray for the virtue of prudence, of knowing when is the right time to do something and when it's not the right time. But yeah, there's not a this is right, this is wrong. When we think of that, then we end up in a polarizing place that we don't want to be right now as a church, perhaps in the United States.
0: But to act with urgency as well, right? I mean, and that also struck me in your homily. You said ahorita, and immediately I remembered, like, in the South African context, we say, now, now, I'll be there now, now, which really means I won't be there now. <laughs> I'll be there in a little while. But we all have this kind of you know, little turn of phrase in our own cultures to put something off, right? Mm-hmm. And here you are clearly saying, well, actually, the gospel says, don't delay. The time is now, the time is ripe. Your preaching, as you've said, is directed at the Latin American community or at the Hispanic community here in the U.S., much of the time, how do you think that that informs the way that you preach?
1: My preaching is informed by the culture because we have to speak to the reality of the people, and the people here live in a binational reality, both either coming to the United States on a daily basis or going to Mexico on a daily basis, so. I try to allow my preaching be informed by this by national reality, but also there's a lot of need for formation, and I know that preaching and catechesis are two different things, but that sometimes for me they overlap. Sometimes it's the right time to make a point about something catechetical, some formative aspect, and the people have said to me that they appreciate that, that they perhaps are not where they should be in terms of formation, but that those little points are helpful to them as well. But also touching on the reality, not talking about something abstract, but something that people can practice on a day-to-day basis that speaks to that reality.
0: What is the most helpful thing you've heard about your preaching from members of the Mexican-American community?
1: You ask good questions. This past Sunday, I was preaching about the gospel and the parable of the unforgiving servant. And a man came up to me. He was very touched by the homily and he thanked me for it. He didn't explain much. He didn't elaborate on what touched him. But he mentioned something about the experience of forgiving. So I try to be rooted on the experience. And sometimes I try to show also, my human side, yeah, I I struggle with these things too. And I think that when people sense that in the priest, and the preacher, it's more relatable to them.
0: I'm always surprised when people say that because, you know, in my preaching, I do the same thing. And I tend to think, well, how else would you preach <laughs> other than, you know, sort of share your own struggles and where you are? But people come to me and they're like, oh, you know, Father, we really enjoyed that today because we could identify with where you are. So I certainly couldn't agree more how important it is for congregations to feel that you are with them rather than you know preaching at them, but that you are truly walking with them on the journey.
1: Yes, especially sometimes in the Hispanic context, the priest is seen as this person above everyone who does not struggle with the same things that we struggle with, who is in this privileged place And we're very much like normal people, as seminary rector used to say. We deal with the same things. But I heard a story once about a bishop who was approached by a person who told them, you must be a great sinner, huh? Oh, why is that? Well, because you speak so well to my reality. And I think that that's the point of being a good preacher, to speak to that reality.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think there is a preaching style, perhaps from an older generation, where they had themes that they were preaching on every Sunday, and it was much more catechetical preaching. It was much more didactic. It was, you know, sort of trying to preach the truths of the church and be super catechetical. Whereas the focus now tends to be, I think, on a lived experience of God's Word.
1: Yes. And in my homilies, I try to even ask questions to engage the audience and make a point about catechetical elements. But that's not the main point. Mm -hmm. The main point is the lived experience.
0: I want to ask you one more question about your homily before we turn to the synod and preaching for the synod. You've been traveling a lot, right? I mean, you've just been to World Youth Day. You've been on various other travels. Your job keeps you very busy. You juggle many responsibilities and yet you have to turn out a homily every Sunday, and often I'm sure on weekdays. What is your guide or what are your tips for putting together a homily quickly on the road?
1: Well, I'm getting practice at it still, but I try to read the readings in advance on Monday if I'm going to preach on Sunday, and not do it in a rush. So perhaps consult, well pray of course, and consult some commentaries even on Monday, some on Tuesday, some on Wednesday, kind of letting those readings sink in so that by Thursday, Friday, I have more or less an idea of what I want to preach about. And then I try to make notes as I read and pray about the readings. So let's turn to the Synod now.
0: You are one of Very few people in the U.S. from the U.S. Church chosen as a participant at the Synod. How have you approached your own preaching in the lead-up to the Synod in the communities that you've been speaking to?
1: Pope Francis said in the address for the 50th anniversary of the Synod of Bishops that this path of synodality is the path that God expects of the Church of the Third Millennium. And this was even before this synod process began. But I took that to heart. I really believed that God expects us to walk in this path. And I've tried to infuse my homilies with that synodal aspect of it. And especially now when the synod process began to inform people about what synodality is, to form us on this Way of being church. And I think that the homily was also a privileged place for that to do some of that formation. You speak about, you know, this synodal aspect to
0: inform people about the synodal aspect and what synodality is about. What is synodality for you? And what's the easiest way that you have found to explain it to a
1: congregation? It is so concrete. It means walking together but it means accompaniment it means being there for somebody else just as the lord himself has decided to walk with us has become a man and lived our same life with our struggles with our issues not being afraid it is the same thing being a church that is not afraid of others that is not afraid of engaging others where they're at and that presence that accompaniment that being a sacrament of Christ to others. To me, that's synodality.
0: You've no doubt also encountered resistance to the idea of synodality, right, when you have preached about it. I wonder if you might share with us some of that resistance, but especially how you have maybe brought more people on side, if you will, when it comes to the idea of a more synodal church.
1: I would say that that conversion has happened, not so much in the preaching, but in the experience of the listening sessions that we conducted in the diocese, in listening to one another. Because I think that this fear comes from not knowing what synodality is, from thinking, oh, these people are going to change what we believe. They're going to do something bad to the church. But when we experience synodality, when we listen to one another, that is when we say, oh, okay, the church wants to listen to me. It's not so much about what is changing, what is not changing. So I think that in living synodality, in those listening sessions, it is when that conversion happens. So during
0: this month of October, we've been encouraged to, of course, be in prayer with the participants in Rome. You will be there for the Synod on Synodality. How do you think preachers can take advantage of this time to preach for a more synodal church?
1: I think of preaching as an integral part of the Liturgy of the Word. And the Liturgy of the Word is a conversation of God and His people. It is a time of listening and of speaking up, of facilitating that encounter between God and His people. And in that sense, it is a synodal exercise So I think that as preachers, as pastors, if we think of our ministry as synodal, as facilitating that conversation, that dialogue between God and his people, we can grow in this experience of synodality.
0: One of the focuses of the Synod on Synodality that has come up over and over again is the focus on young people and on, you know, drawing young people into the church, young people into the experience of their life with God. You're also a vocation promoter, so you work with many young people. How do you think that that message of synodality translates in the work you do with young people? And how can pastors best communicate synodality specifically to the young?
1: When I was in youth group many years ago, I felt that my pastor really believed in us as not only the youth, but as ministers, as agents in the preaching of the gospel. So in that sense, he walked with us. He believed in us and he accompanied us. And I think that we need to do the same, that being in synodality with the young people, if we want to have them in church, we need to walk with them. We need to believe in them. We need to make them active agents of the preaching of the gospel, empower them. But if we think that we need to get them into church, that we need to seclude them from the evils of the world, but not really respecting that freedom and that creativity that they have, not giving them a place in the church, then we're doing a disservice to them. And that's not synodal.
0: I think we don't need to say any more. That's a truly wonderful place to end, to know that The church is a place where you need to feel like you belong, and to feel that you belong, you need to be believed and trusted. And that's not only a message for the young, I think that's a message for all people, and certainly a message that we can all carry forward in this month of October when you're meeting at the Synod on Synodality. I wish you well at the Synod. We will certainly be praying with you and for you, and hopefully we will find the fruits of a more synodal church come the end of October.
1: Yes. And I think that we don't need to wait for a document that comes out of Rome because we can already start living in synodality. And it starts with our parishes, with our parish groups, parish ministries, with our ministry as pastors, as leaders in our church. We can already start walking on that path. But yes, thank you for your prayers. I will really need them. And we will continue to pray for that work that will happen there, the work of the Holy Spirit, undoubtedly. Thank you, Ivan. It's a call for now,
0: not Ahorita. (laughs) We must act with urgency. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loeshit studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Christopher Robles and Michael O'Brien. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And before we go, did you know that America Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably waiting for you in your inbox. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. Just visit the link in the show notes. For America Media, I'm Ricardo Da Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news.